Amen. You can be seated. As you are, would you grab a Bible and make your way to 1 John? We're in chapter 5. On Sunday mornings, we've been making our way through the book of 1 John, verse by verse. We want you to be there with us, and so hopefully you brought a Bible. You're making your way there. If you didn't, there are Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front of you there, page number on the screen, so you can reach there rapidly. If you want to use an electronic device, we invite you to do that, but one way or the other, we're inviting you to have the Word of God held before you, believing in His power, believing in what God would speak to us in that, that He would draw us to what He has, that He would cause us to have that just work into our lives. So as we're heading to that, let's take a moment and just ask God for that. I'm going to lead you in prayer. But I'm asking you to pray once more, that you would just ask God to speak to you, that you'd ask Him to cause His Word to be something that resonates with you and works into your life, that you would ask Him to cause that to happen. I'll do the same. Let's go before Him right now and simply ask that from Him. Father, right here, right now, I'm so glad to be able to study Your Word and just note that it's true, that Your Word is is accurate and it's powerful. You told us that your word is alive and it's powerful and it can penetrate into our hearts. It can shape the thoughts and the intents that are taking place there. That you can change us from the inside out. I look on that with wonder and desire and delight and say, Lord, yes, please. Yes, please, here. Open up your word to us. Help us to understand it and then speak to us individually in a way that is life-giving helpful, transforming. God, you're able. We ask you for that. We ask you in this moment that you would cause us to be those that hear your voice in this space. Together we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A praying Christian is a powerful Christian. Yet hear me clearly, a praying Christian is indeed a powerful Christian. In fact, we could even say that prayer could be, it ought to be your superpower. Oh, please understand, I'm not making light of it. Prayer is that which connects us to God, and God can do anything. God knows everything. God is everywhere. There is nothing stronger than that. There is nothing greater than that, that we could do all things in Christ, that, that all things are possible in Him, Prayer then becomes this place where there's just nothing else that could equal its potential, its power, its effectiveness. A praying Christian is, or maybe I should say, can be a powerful Christian. Well, why do I say it like this? Well, there are reasons that maybe you have not discovered it to be so. I want to just remind you of three really fast. Three reasons that maybe for you, when you hear about prayer, and I talk about it being powerful, and maybe your answer is like, well, I don't, I don't feel like my prayers are powerful. I don't feel like that's how it works in my life. Well, there are other reasons, but there are three main reasons that you might feel that prayer is not powerful. The first is that maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus, so that your prayers are unsaved prayers that you're someone that doesn't have that, and understand me clearly. It doesn't work. I think about it this way in Isaiah, where it says your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Oh, God is God. He knows everything. But if you're 
sins are laid upon your life and they haven't been atoned for in Christ, sin separates you from God. Sin separates you from all that he is and sin makes it so that prayer, it doesn't really work for you. Prayer is for Christians. Prayer is something that because we are in Christ, we have that. And it's because of that when we get saved, when you have a relationship with Jesus, he's able to tell us, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That we get to come in the name of Christ. We get to come in who he is because we are his children on the basis of who he is, and that becomes powerful. Again, maybe you're here and you're outside of that relationship with Jesus. We just want to appeal to you today. Give your life to Jesus. You know, don't just try to go through the actions of a Christian. Come to church and pray and do things that Christians are supposed to do as if that was actually going to save you. It does not. You need a relationship with Jesus. You need his sacrifice to wash away your sins. And, and when that's there, not only does it rescue you from hell, not only does it bring you into a relationship that can satisfy it brings you into all else that comes a part of that, and prayer is part of that. That prayer becomes the privilege of those who are followers of Jesus. So we begin there. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've tried praying and it doesn't work. Well, maybe it's because you need to give your life to Jesus. Well, that's one reason we'd find prayer to be ineffective. The second reason, well, quite honestly, is just because we don't do it. Sometimes the honest answer is that prayer doesn't work for you, because you don't actually spend much time at all in prayer. James gives it to us this way. This is in James chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. That reality just laid out before us gives us this incredible thought that God is telling us prayer works, that he is a God who hears prayer and answers it, and he just simply reasons with us in the most simple and profound way. There are things you would have. There are things I would do. And it's not happening because you don't actually pray. Because you don't actually pray. Prayer works. Prayer is effective. Prayer is real. And honestly, maybe prayer is not really that powerful in your life because you just don't actually spend much time praying at all. Again, I don't mean that to be accusatory. I'm just saying it honestly. It's a weird space. For some of the people who believe most in prayer, and you ask them, hey, is prayer powerful? Does God answer prayer? Well, of course. Do you pray? Well, you know, I think about it. You know, I'm glad other people are praying. I mean, it's a weird thing. I mean, as a church, just being straight up honest, our prayer meeting is the least attended thing that we ever do. I mean, it's as if somehow we could do anything else. I mean, we could have like a toenail cutting party and we would probably get more people to that than we get to say, hey, just come and pray. You know, is this somehow, you know, and yet that's what we so desperately need. Like, we, we, we need to be a people that pray. We need to do it. And so maybe for you, it's just that you have not even tried to step into what prayer would be. So prayer is not powerful if you're not a follower of Jesus. Prayer is not powerful if you're not actually doing it because you actually have to pray for, for prayer to work. But there's a third reason that prayer might be ineffective in your life, and that is that you're praying wrongly, that you're not praying truly, you're not praying accurately, you're not praying as God would have you to pray. See, I think about that passage I was giving you in James, and I love the way James does it, because he hits two realities side by side. He hits two things that would be there in the midst of it, where he just simply tells us, you do not have because you do not ask. 
You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Again, it's just James just does this great job. He says either, you know, either you're not praying, you know, you don't, you don't receive what God wants because you don't actually pray, or you're praying for the wrong things. You're praying to get your will accomplished. You're praying for your good pleasure. And one of the incredible things to discover about prayer is that's not what prayer is. Prayer is not giving God advice. Prayer is not lobbying for your own agenda. Prayer is coming to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. As we just sang a moment ago, in your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yet when Jesus taught us to pray, he told us, hey, that's how you're supposed to do this. You're not coming to get what you want done. You're coming to see what God wants done. Coming to see his will that is good and acceptable and perfect and beautiful. Yeah, that's where we were last week. So I say a lot of that that we just talked about right now as introduction because last week he laid this out to us and we walked through it. Let's go back and read it just for a tiny bit of context. You got your Bibles open there to chapter 5. Go back to verse 14 and hear what he says. He says, Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we have asked of him, that those prayers become effective prayers. That prayer is about not giving God advice, it's coming and praying for his will to be accomplished in our life, his will to happen. And once more, just thinking it through, there are things that God wants to do. There are things that is in God's will that we might lack because we don't pray. So we covered that last week. We spent some time on that in our, in our last study, and if maybe you weren't here, or maybe you're like, I think I need to go back and hear that again. Hey, we have it online. You can get a CD, you can get a DVD, whatever you'd want. I invite you to go back to it so that you could be reminded that prayer works, but prayer is needing to be in God's will, that powerful prayer is prayer in the will of God, that he's inviting us to do that. So, how do you do that? How do you pray in God's will? Well, we spent part of last week's study talking about ways of discovering the right ways to do that. So once more, I'm just going to tell you, hey, go back and get that. But what God does now is he gives us one thing that would certainly be in his will that he wants you to pray for. So take it back, let's just read it. Let's start it again in verse 14 for context so you can hear again what we just caught, read. Verse 14, Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we've asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he, that is God, will give him life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. There is a sin not leading to death. All right. 
So here we are. We're kind of just tracking with me a moment, trying to make sure you're with me. So we're talking about praying in the will of God, and now he's going to give us one thing that would certainly fall in that category that would teach you and I to pray in God's will. And he prefaces it by just telling us, okay, if you see it, if you see a brother, and that term brother is used for Christian, brother and sister in Christ, if you see another Christian sinning a sin, pause there. That's what we need just to kind of build ourselves on this. If you see a brother sinning a sin, let's just kind of wrap our minds around that for a second and just say it this way. It actually isn't an if, it's a when. It actually isn't an if, it's a when. Now, interesting enough, it's actually true in the grammar that's used in the sentence. Uh, this is kind of used as a subordinate errorist clause in the midst of it that kind of linguists would tell us that when you, when you say if in this moment, you're kind of really saying when. It's kind of like, well, if or when you actually see somebody committing a sin, hey, here's what I want you to do. And it really is a when. Well, that's true grammatically, but so much more it's true theologically. It's true biblically where the Bible lets us know this because here's what we know. Here's what we know to be true. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, you have now a new sinless nature that was given to you in Christ. He gives us that there in verse 18. We'll talk about it next time, but notice it with me. He says, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. And he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. So there's this reality, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a new nature that is a sinless nature. You have a new nature that wants to do what's right, that Jesus has given you. That's a great and a glorious thing, but the Bible's also very, very clear. You still have your flesh. You still have your old nature, and you live in a world that's in rebellion, and you have an enemy who is after us to, to just you know, hamper us and hinder our lives with sin. So that what we discover is for the follower of Jesus, we are now in a very real spiritual war. I like the way Galatians gives it to us. God says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Yes, yeah, something happened when you became a follower of Jesus. There now became a new nature inside you that wants to do good, but you still have the old nature, and this is uniquely true for a Christian. It's not true for somebody who's not a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, now you have this battle where the Spirit of God inside you, the, the work that God is doing is wanting good, but you got the flesh that is wanting bad, and they are in a war. There's a war happening inside of you that keeps you from doing what you want and what you, what you want to do in Christ. Paul talks about this in Romans 7 where he says, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I, I, I do want to do, I don't do. And wretched man that I am. I mean, what do I do about this? Well, the answer is Christ and, and that he's the answer in the midst of this, but the battle is real. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I know. I don't even have to know you. I don't have to know what your world looks like. I don't have to sit in an interview. I know that there's a war happening inside of you that sometimes keeps you from being the person that you want to be, the person that Jesus is making you to be, where that kind of hampers and hinders your life. So theologically, it's true, or we could say it differently, just very, very real. This is practically true. You will, you do, and you're going to see that Christians aren't perfect. I hope that's not like brand new information for you. I hope like right now you didn't, you know, just not expect that. But let's also be honest. 
actually sometimes we don't expect it. Maybe you just haven't thought it through this way, so let's just take a quick moment and wrap our minds around it. Sometimes people get church wrong. Sometimes people think that church is a place for good people to come off, come, come around and shine their halos and show off how good they are and, and just show everybody how amazing people we are. Now, crazy enough, honestly, some of you actually kind of feel that way. So you think about coming to church and you're thinking about all these people around you and in your mind you're like, boy, these people are such good people. Boy, they're such amazing people. And in the back of your mind, you know you don't fit. You're like, well, I'm not. Like, if they knew me, they wouldn't let me in the door. I mean, like, if they knew, like, that I'm not a perfect person, they probably would keep me out. But here's what I want to tell you as solidly, biblically as I possibly can. There are no good people. There are, there, every one of us is sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. You're a bad person. You got to just say that in the most kind way. I mean, you really are. In your flesh, there is nothing good about you. That's not true for some of you. That's true for all of us, that there's a place that we come to an end of ourselves and see our need for Jesus, that he is the only way that we can have anything good. It brings us to an end of ourselves so that we come to a place that if we saw it rightly, if we saw it rightly, we would understand church is not a place for perfect people. Church is a place for broken people. Church is a place for people that say, I need help. You know, like, I, I need Jesus, I need his forgiveness, and that's not just true at the moment of my salvation, that's true in my life, that church would become this place where we would know this. I mean, just fundamentally, we would know that, hey, we, we haven't come to show off our halos, we haven't come to, you know, compare our stories and show us how great we are, we've come to say, we are a broken people that know we need Jesus. That's what defines us. That's what defines who we are, is we are a people that we have no other boast except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Like, it is, it is, we've come, if we've come to show anything off, it's like, my Jesus is amazing. My Jesus is amazing. And that's what I'm here to tell you, because I desperately need Jesus. So if we believed that, it would change the way that we do this. Now, again, not true for all of you, but sadly true for some of you maybe more of than you would like, is that somehow we still get confused. We get confused about what church is, about what this place is, about what our gathering is. And if you believe this, it would change things. So we need to come back and talk about that in a moment. We need to come back and talk about that in a moment. But let's just pause and say, okay, first thing we're understanding is it's going to happen. That if you you know, live life here on this earth and you're around other Christians, you're going to discover that other people aren't perfect either. You're going to discover that Christians sin, that Christians blow it, that Christians aren't perfect all the time. And he's going to tell you and I what we get to do with that, how you and I get to process that, that when we see that. So let's go back to it and notice it again. Verse 16, if, when, Anyone sees his brother, another Christian, sinning a sin which does not lead to death. Okay, pause there. So if you see another Christian and they're sinning a sin that is not leading to death. Okay, pause there. What in the world is that? Like, what do, you, what do, you, what do, you, what do we mean by that? What does it mean to say, hey, there's a sin that's leading to death. Okay, before we come back and think about this, let's kind of pull that aside and just do our best to try to define it 
But as we do so, let me just be really clear. We don't actually solidly know the answer to this. I can say that because there is no consensus on what this is. John doesn't explain it. John doesn't right here tell us, what do you mean? What do you mean a sin leading to death? And it's never referred to that way any other place in Scripture that clearly. So it's caused very good Bible students, very good teachers and theologians to look at this verse and come up with very different answers. I did a lot of research this week, read a lot of different people how to do it, and it's really, yeah, there's a lot of different answers. So I just want you to know that. We're going to kind of quickly explore what some of those are going to be, and then I'm going to be really arrogant. Just going to be careful. I'm just going to say, I'm going to tell you I think I know what it is. Now, I'm saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek because I want you to understand, if you disagree with me, you have a lot of room to disagree with me. Like, if you're like, well, Jim, I don't know if I really agree with you. That's great because there's a lot of people that don't agree with me. And, and, And yet, I'm just going to ask you to think it through. I think I have at least something I can just kind of put before you and I think give you enough weight to consider that Jim might be right. But again, with enough grace to say, you know what, we cannot lock this down because nowhere does God clearly define this for us in Scripture. So what is a sin that is leading to death? Well, in all the studies I read, there's actually a whole bunch of things that people come up with, but the most prominent uh, that land across, just, you know, people in our land, some say it's actual murder, that it's a sin that's leading somebody to commit murder. It's a sin that's leading to, to death. Now, let's just pause and say, well, you know, I mean, that, that it sin to death. Maybe, you know, maybe grammatically, I guess you could say that's heading that direction. But let's just think it through both theologically and practically. So is murder some specific sin that would be treated differently than the rest? Oh, don't get me wrong. Murder is a sin. Um, but murder is also forgivable. Murder is also forgivable. But let's also be clear. It's not the most common of sins. Oh, I mean, maybe, I mean it's, it's possible. It's possible in this room right now, somebody here, you are like, okay, I did. Yeah, I, I've done that. And you might even at this moment feel like we're just picking on you. Please understand, God can forgive all sin. And, and murder is not an unforgivable sin. But let's also understand it's not the most common thing. It's not like one of these things like, yep, I deal with that all the time. All the time. Come to church and I just look at you and think, you're a murderer. That's what you are, like you. Like, I, I see you. And it's just not a common deal. And, and how would you even, and no, there's no way for us to kind of just say practically or theologically that that makes sense in this moment. So I'm just going to cross that one out. That would lead to the second possibility that actually is probably the more common uh, just understanding of most Bible students that I read is that it would be a sin that God judges with death. Now he does this. If you're a student of Scripture, you know that every now and then, God displays His holiness, and in so doing, actually does allow people to die. This is like Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5. You know, they kind of go through a hypocritical moment, and they die, like right there for their sin. There are other places in Scripture where God does this. There's Achan in the Old Testament. There are Aaron's sons in the midst of that. Sometimes, in the midst of God's discipline in our world, there are times that He literally does judge sin with death. Now, even in Corinthians, it tells us that sometimes there's sickness and things that could happen because of sin. It's caused a lot of uh, debate to happen from this verse and not entirely impossible. That's it. So let's just think it through again, just kind of in a, in a practical way. You know, God does that every now and then. Ananias and Sapphira, things like that. But I could just take you, if we had time to unpack, most of the time that's at the beginning of a movement. 
It's the beginning of a space, and God allows His holiness to be clearly understood. But He doesn't do that as a normal case in point, because here's the deal. If God did what He did to Ananias and Sapphira every day, I'm not sure we'd have a church. I mean, just being nice to you guys. I just want to be honest with you. I mean, like if, that's what, if God let everybody who was being hypocritical die, yeah, it's going to be a very different kind of church service. I mean, I just want to tell you, I just don't think that's really where we are, and it doesn't work that way on a standard place, but let's even add to it, I don't have the privilege of seeing that. There's not any way that you would be able to look and see a Christian who's sinning and go, mm, God's about to kill you. Like, I know, like, I can see it. it's right there above your head, like, you're dead, you know, so I don't even have to pray for you, you know, I just, this just, I mean, I don't even have to go there, I mean, it just doesn't work that way. There's no way that you would be able to do what this says, so again, just in a theological, practical way, I'm going to say no. That would lead to the third possibility that some would say, well, no, maybe this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. If you're aware of it, the Bible lets us know Jesus told us that if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's a sin that is an unforgivable sin, a sin that cannot be come back from. Big deal, big deal, important to understand. Let me just quickly unpack it, though, for you. The blasphemy of the Spirit ultimately is a rejection of Jesus and a rejection of the Spirit of God to where you become unresponsive to where you are no longer open to the regeneration work of the Holy Spirit, that you've sinned in such a way that it cannot be come back from. That's a scary deal. But that only happens for an unbeliever. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit cannot be committed by a follower of Jesus. Now, it's just really good to know because it happens. Maybe you're one of those people. I mean, maybe you're like right now, you're like, I think I did it, Pastor Jim. I just I think I committed the blasphemy. No, you didn't. Because you know him. Because the work of the Spirit is happening inside of you. You can't commit this. It's not something a Christian commits. It's something that somebody who hardens themselves against Christ ultimately cannot come back from. So here when he's telling us this is a sin leading to death, and he prefaced it when he said, hey, when you see a Christian sitting a sin, you know, that would be this, hey, they cannot be speaking of this because a Christian can't, and so it doesn't fit in context, though there is a tiny bit of warning that we'll kind of come back to in the midst of it. So, long story short, I don't think it can be that either. So, if it's not actual murder, it's not people that God's going to kill, it's not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, then what might it be? Well, I would put to you that I believe the sin that leads to death is a sin that is rebellious, unrepentant sin, a sin that would be called sometimes theologically or in the Old Testament a high-handed sin. It's a rebellious, unrepentant, high-handed sin, a place where you would find somebody who is calling themselves a Christian and yet sinning in a way that they're not turning from their sin, they're not sorry for their sin, they're not repentant of their sin, and I would say that's a sin leading to death. So what would that look like? Well, the best place that I know of, there's a few other places in the Scripture, but maybe the best ways to define this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where God just reasons with us this way. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, You should know this. Like somebody who's not living a righteousness, not turning to righteousness, they're not going to heaven. Like, that's not possible. It doesn't work that way. And then he just gives it to us this way. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners 
will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, hey, this doesn't work. Someone who's living that lifestyle, not as a struggle, but as an unrepentant, not turning away, like this is who I am, take me as I am kind of thing. You know, I'm doing this. He says, they're not going to go. Like, that's not possible. You can't stay there. Now, don't misunderstand what I just said. You can be rescued from those things, from any of those things. The next verse goes on to say, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He can fix any of that. Don't hear me this morning if any of that lands for you and think this can't be fixed. It can be fixed. That's what Jesus came to die for. He came to die for sin came to rescue us from this, and this is exactly what he can do. It's a good news. It's a glorious space. But the danger is the one that won't turn. The danger is the one that won't. So he gives us this list that would say, okay, these are not there. These are not going. So I'm going to tell you, I think this list would fit the definition of the term in 1 John 5. I would say these are sins that are leading to death. These are sins that if that's the sin that's taking place in somebody's life, they have an aroma of death over them. They have an aroma of spiritual death that you would look at them and think, you are not in a good space and I don't know where that's going for you and I'm worried for your soul. That's a good place for us to define, but let's just pause here and say, we just need to think about this for a moment because here's the exact problem that I'm having. It's probable this morning that the wrong people are listening to me. It's probable this morning that the wrong people are listening to me. Here's what I mean. So I know some of you. I love you. And some of you have just a very tender and sensitive conscience. So when I say there's a sin leading to death, here's what I know. For some of you, you're like, it's me. I just know that's me. I mean, I just, you said it, sin leading to death. Might as well just line me up on the wall and point me out, Pastor Jim, because I think that's probably me. I probably am committing the sin leading to death. Here's what I want you to, to say. If you're that person of tender and sensitive conscience, are you living a life of fornication or adultery right now, like actively living in sin and you won't stop? Are you an actively living in homosexuality? Or are you a person who's actively living in, in drunkenness? See, here's what I think. For some of those who have a tender conscience, no, that's not your problem. You just struggle. And you struggle with pride, and you struggle with jealousy, and you struggle with, you know, selfishness, and you're like, I just, I, I, I hate it. Well, we all hate it. That's not in the list. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about high-handed sins where people are there. So if that's you this morning, please hear me. I just wish I could come with my arm around you and just tell you, we are not talking to you. We are not talking to you. You, don't, you have not committed a sin leading to death. If that's not your lifestyle living in this, you know, high-handed, this is not about you. So leaving that tender conscience person and say, okay, please understand, we didn't just talk about you. The other problem is the people who should hear me right now, you might not be listening to me. Because somehow you've just decided you're okay. You've decided, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus and I can do whatever I want. I'm a follower of Jesus, and it really might be true in this room right now, in our overflow or online, that right now you are someone who's a fornicator. You are living, you, you, one night stands are a part of your life. Uh, you are sleeping with your girlfriend, you are sleeping with your boyfriend, and you're quite fine with it. And you're like, well, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I, it's what I do. You know, might as well just get, just, just, I, I'm, I'm not planning on changing. I'm not planning on changing. Might as well just take me as I am. That's a problem. 
If, if your sin doesn't bother you, if you can actively rebel against God's place, that's a high-handed sin. That you're, you're not in a good space. If you are living in an adulterous relationship right now, like you're married, but you've been cheating on your spouse, and maybe it's been six months, maybe it's been a year, and you don't have any intention to stop. You don't feel bad about it. You're like, it's what I do. God loves me. I can, I, I can do this. I, I, I can continue rebelling against God's plan, and I'm going to heaven. Really? Are, are, you, are you sure? Because you are living in a place that God says you cannot stay there. Are you an active homosexual? Now, hear me clearly. In our world, because of all that's happening right now, there are probably in this room right now some who struggle with homosexual just propensities or desires. That's not this. Desires are, are, are not the same thing. We're talking about somebody who's decided, I am. I'm a gay Christian. Get over it. You know, like, I'm going to live in my, in my homosexuality, and I'm not changing. You know, I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm just going to make it, and I'm going to continue that. God says, no, that, that doesn't work. I mean, you can't stay in that lifestyle. That can't stay who you are. That can't be the definition of your identity. And that's true of being a thief, covetous. That's true of being a drunkard. Yeah, that's who you are. So here again, just hear me. It is probably true that I'm talking to somebody right now. I wish I wasn't. I wish there wasn't anybody in our, in our church that probably falls in this category, but right now this might be you. That you come to church and you say, I'm fine, but you rebel against everything that God says, and you have no intention of changing. You do not feel bad about it. You're not repentant. You're not sorry. I would say that's a sin that has an aroma of death over it. That's a sin that says, hey, you know what? You, you smell like you're going to hell. You, 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 your life gives me a scent of something that's altogether bad. So let's take that back into our text. So he says, here's the thing. If you see a brother sinning a sin, but we're not talking about the sin leading to death. We're not talking about that. Let's just notice what he says about it. Go back to verse 15 again. Sorry, verse 16 again. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death. He will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. There is a sin not leading to death. So John is going to tell us what to do when we pray for people that are not in this category, that are not having a sin leading to death. He does not actually unpack for us what do you do when you find somebody in that category? What do you do when somebody is living a sin, a, a sinful life that they won't turn from it? John doesn't say it here, but the rest of the Bible is really clear about it. Those are spaces we have to intervene. Those are spaces we have to confront. Those are spaces that you can't just say, okay, you're fine. No, you, if that's where you're living, I can't see it that way. I think about Galatians that says it this way. Brethren, if any man is overtaken and any trespasses... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Hey, if somebody's in that, we need to restore them. We need to go to them and do our best to rescue them from that lifestyle. This is Matthew 18. This is kind of the confrontation. Hey, we need to, because we have to love people that much. We have to love people enough to say, hey, if that's where you are, this is not okay. This is not okay. And we're worried about your soul. So again, before we leave this, I just want to do that very, very clearly. 
it might be that I've identified somebody this morning. Like, you're here, and you're like, that's me. <laughs> I, I, I'm walking through all of these things. When we think about uh, the list that was given there in 1 Corinthians, fornication or adultery or homosexuality, you're like, that's me. Then by God's grace, I'm pleading with you, turn from your sin. I'm pleading with you, repent and turn to Jesus. Let him wash you. Let him cleanse you. Let him sanctify you. You cannot stay there. You cannot stay living an identity of rebellion against God and be okay. You can't. You can't. And I love you, and I don't want that to happen for any of you. And if that's you this morning, repent. Like, turn from your sin. Allow Jesus to fix you. He can do this. This is what he does. But you need to do it. You cannot be okay and stay there. You cannot be okay and be comfortable living a life of rebellion. May God rescue you from it. Okay, we talked about that. Okay, now pull back with me. Just breathe for a second. Okay, just thinking about this whole deal. We're talking about it now. He says, okay, so now we know. Okay, if we see a brother sending a sin, and we're not talking about the ones that we just talked about, and it's not that. It's not about a sin leading to death. It's not about somebody who's living a rebellious lifestyle. It's just a Christian who's struggling. Who's struggling. What do you do for those? Ah, well, that's what you told us. You already read it, right? But go back and see it again. If, verse 16, anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. And he, that is God, will give him life to those who commit sin not leading to death. Wow. Okay. Okay. This is good. Make sure you're hearing. When you see that, pray for them. When you see a Christian, and they're not living a rebellious lifestyle, they haven't, you know, they're not shaking their fist at God and saying, I'm going to do what I want to do anyway, but you see them struggling, I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them. Now, even as we say that, there's going to be somebody that says, it sounds like you're making sin, you're taking sin lightly. I love that that's exactly what God addresses. No, that's not what we're doing. This isn't playing light with sin. In fact, he tells us there in verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin. Like you, were do, you do the wrong thing, that's sin. sin you, you can have really big sins, you can have really small sins, all sins separate us from God, true story. But there are sins that are rebellious. There are sins that are leading to death. And there is sin that is not leading to death. Those are the ones that we're talking about now, which is most of the things that we deal with as followers of Jesus. So again, I know you see the answer before we even go there. What you're supposed to be doing, what I'm supposed to be doing, when we see a brother sinning those sins, we're supposed to pray for them. But let's just talk about for a moment what that's not saying. What did he just tell us that we're not supposed to do? Now, this is, again, helpful, and, and just know this. I'm not trying to point this out to anybody. I mean, this is probably not anybody here. I mean, you guys are great people. It's his first service. You know, they kind of struggle with these things, and so they just need to have this. But I'm sure none of us do this. But see, some of us might have a propensity when we see somebody else sinning, and we begin to play the game of condemnation. We begin to feel that, oh, yeah, those people, those people are terrible. But see, can I tell you something? That is what Satan does. I wish I could have had lots of time to unpack this. I don't. But Revelation 12 tells us that we have an enemy, Satan, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, it calls us, and it tells us what he does every single day. In fact, he does it day and night. He does this to Christians. He accuses them. He accuses them. His voice sounds something like, you call yourself a Christian? You're the worst Christian I've ever seen. 
I mean, like I've never seen somebody as unloving, as unkind as you. I mean, did you see how you failed again yesterday? I mean, you are, you are terrible. And, we, and, and the problem is that some of us have a propensity of like, oh, that's so true. I so am. Like, amen, Satan, keep, keep it up, you know. And, and I just want to tell you that part of overcoming the Christian life is recognizing that's not the voice of God. It is not. It's not what he's doing. But here's the thing. Sometimes Christians, like first service, not you guys, I understand. But sometimes some Christians sound more like Satan than God. That instead of coming across in a gracious and loving way, we come across in like, you call yourself a Christian? Oh, I can't believe it. can't believe it. I'm so disappointed in you. So, so, so just angry at you. And that's not the way God wants us to be. He calls us away from that. He calls us not to confront these sins. If someone's sending a sin leading to death, we need to confront. But if someone's struggling, you don't need to go and tell them to their face, like, I saw you. I saw you kick your dog. You know, just thought I'd tell you. You know, like, I drove by your house and I saw it. You know, just like you. you know. I mean, no, if someone's having a hard day, that's not the kind of thing that needs confrontation. Nor are we exposing such. And this is kind of important because that's the big fear. See, I already told you, like, if you see church rightly, then you knew you came into a space of a bunch of imperfect people that needed God's mercy and grace. But somehow we still don't believe it. Some of us still feel that if we really were honest, if we came into church, we would be exposed. Almost as if, you know, like we really realized how bad you were, that the lights would all dim and the spotlight would come on and it'd be like, ta-da! You know, like this person, like look at you, you are a failure. And some of us like, that's me, I know it's going to be me. And, 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 we, and we struggle with that. But the Bible calls us away from that. In 1 Peter 4, it says, above all things, have fervent love for one another. Like the way you love other Christians. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Like, you know what? I'm not going to expose you. That's not what I do. I'm not going to gossip about you. I'm not going to go and tell 10 other people what I saw because that's not what Christian love does. Again, I'm just being honest. Sometimes. Sometimes that's what we have done. I mean, maybe not you, maybe not all of us, but the kind of thing where you did see somebody blow it and you're like, oh, I can't wait to tell somebody. <laughs> like, did you know I saw so-and-so? And man, they, the, the dog went flying six feet, you know? I mean, it was crazy when they kicked him. I mean, you're just, you can't wait to kind of tell somebody what you saw. But in Christ, we're like, that's not how we're supposed to respond. It's as if we'd say, you know what? I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm, that's not my point, my place, my part. I'm not going to do that, but neither am I going to be shocked by it. That there's a sense that we understand this because we understand theologically that we're all struggling. We just know this, that I can look out at you and not have to even know you and know that you didn't have a perfect week. Know that, you know what, there, there were places that if we could kind of put a camera up or a screen up here and, it, you know, like play the reel for your week, there would be some places you would be like, oh, I'm not sure that, you know. Like, that's, that's not a good moment. Like, I was trying. I was going to try. And then, man, I totally lost my temper. Or I really did get jealous. Or I really got prideful. I know this about you without even having to know you because I know what the Bible says. So it shouldn't shock any one of us. That's not how you and I are meant to respond when we see other Christians who aren't living a perfect life. So what do you do? Well, you already read it, right? I mean, it's really pretty clear. It's not a complicated instruction if anyone he says, sees his brother sending a sin which does not lead to death, ask. You should ask. You should pray. And God will give them life. Wow. God is telling us 
that he would like our response to Christians being imperfect to be prayer. See, now that's context. Context is, hey, if we pray according to God's will, he'll hear us. And then he says, this is my will for you. When you see it, when you see it, pray for them. Now, again, I'm not asking anybody for a show of hands, but I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering in your own heart, do you ever do that? Like ever? I mean, has that ever been your response? Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe you're like, Jim, I totally, that, that's exactly how I respond. Good job. Like, well done. I've not seen a lot of it. Uh, and, and in my own life, I find myself needing to grow. But there is a space that what can and should happen is that our, our, our go-to response when we figure out, hey, somebody's having a hard day. Someone's not doing well. Like, I, I, that, I watched them, and they were angry, or they were rude, or they were prideful, or they were jealous, and I saw it. You know what I did? I prayed for them. I prayed for them, because that's what Christians do. That's what God wants. Now, that's an amazing thing, and one of the incredible things is to realize that's exactly how God wants us to process even sin sometimes. I think about it. This is how Jesus told us to pray. So we talk about the Lord's Prayer every now and then here at church and just say, okay, so Jesus gave us this prayer that is sometimes called the Lord's Prayer twice. He gives it in Scripture. Uh, you don't have to use it. I do. I find it to be an incredible model of how to pray. So I do every day I pray through the Lord's Prayer, at not just verbatim, just you know, reciting it, but subject by subject. So I'd get to the first part of it, our Father who art in heaven, and I'll just stop and camp there for a little while. God, I want to have this relationship where I know you as my Father. I want to love you first. I mean, that's the first and greatest commandment, God. And, and I'll just spend some time talking about my relationship. And then I'll move on to hallowed be your name. And I'll just spend time in his character. Spend time worshiping and thanking and, and, and recognizing the greatness of who he is. And I'll work subject by subject through the prayer. It's just a great thing to do. Just want to tell you, if you're looking for help in that, I would highly advise it. But if you'll do that, then you would come to the place as a part of the prayer where you would be asking for forgiveness. Father, forgive us. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive those who sinned against us, forgive us our sins. So forgiveness is a constant need. It's a need where we just need to come and say, God, wash me, cleanse me. I mean, just like I'm, I'm, I am imperfect and I do need help. And, and, and so forgiveness, it's a daily part of our prayers. It is in my life, should be, ought to be in your life. But one of the amazing things about the prayer is it was inclusive. It's not forgive me for my sins. It's forgive us for our sins that part of this prayer is to pray forgiveness for us. Do you do that? Hey, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how it would work in your life, but I'm just telling you it's a powerful place. It's a powerful place. I do this every day, so every day I pray through this, and I have a, you know, I don't try to just do the same thing every day because it would get old and dry in my life, but there are sections that I do pretty much the same thing, at least in concept, and this is one of them. So every day I'm asking, God, just cleanse me. Like you see me, you see wherever I've sinned against you and God, wash me, wash away my pride, wash away my, just my, my selfishness, my arrogance, whatever it is, God just, and, and if there's something I need to deal with, I deal with it. But then I move to plural. So for me, I, I, I ask God's forgiveness. I, be, I began just praying for my wife and I. I say, God, just look on us. Like, just forgive us, just wash us. God, if there's anything that is against you, cleanse us. Then in my own mind, I, I, I begin to include my kids. I just pray for my kids because I like, I think about Job. Job did that. Tells us that in the early passages of Job that he prayed for his kids. It just every day, like, okay, they might have done something, 
lot. Just forgive us. So I'll just kind of, hey, Lord, wash over my kids, just for my family, just, to, just meet us in this. Then I'll kind of pray for the staff, I'll just those who serve Christ with me, just like, Lord, meet us, and then I pray for you every day. I just say, Lord, look on us as a church. God, just see us, and God, meet us in mercy. God, forgive us, wash us, wash us from our sin, where, we have, where there's, there's those things against us, Lord, just meet us. And so I make it a part of my prayer every day, and I'm just encouraging it wherever that would be in your life, that that kind of prayer is good because it's not just about you. It's about you saying, God, we need help. We need your mercy. That's a great space. And wherever that becomes a pattern in your life, that would be great. But then add to it this, because this is not just a discipline. This is a response. When you see it, when you see a Christian sinning, pray for him. Pray for them. Be that person. Don't gossip about them. Don't be disappointed in them. Don't accuse them. I mean, why would you? I mean, just you, your, your go-to response should be prayer. And here's the really crazy, fun, cool thing. That's a prayer that God will answer. That's a prayer he'll answer. Yeah, just notice it again in the text so you see it. If anyone sees his brother, verse 16, sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, like you will ask, and God will give him life. Yeah, God gives life. This is not just a reorientation. Because see, if you get this wrong, you will think like, okay, so if I see somebody seeing a sin, I just need to kind of reorient myself in the grace of God and just remember we're not all perfect. And yeah, I just, that's helpful. This is effective. Prayer changes things. Our God is a prayer hearing, prayer answering God. There are things we don't have because we don't pray. And so he's telling us what to pray for. And he says, this is one I'll answer. This is a prayer I will answer. And it's not just that it's a change of orientation or understanding. God says, I'll give them something. I will give them something. I will give them life. Zoe, as the Greek word, speaks of spiritual life in the New Testament. It's life. And I just want you to understand God actually gives it. Our God actually does this, that prayer actually works. Prayer actually accomplishes this, that this is a prayer in God's will, and it actually works. That if you would do this, when you pray for other people that are struggling, God not only would just see that and change the way that your understanding might be so that you're not being like Satan and you're not being accusatory and you're not being judgmental, he would do something in that person's life because you prayed for them. Now, that's a pretty cool deal. Because I don't know about you, I would take all the help I could get. I don't know about you, but see, I, I know I'm in a battle with my flesh and with the devil and, and with the world. And if I'm struggling, it would mean so much if somebody would add to the good part of the battle. Like, send life my way. Like, send help this way. That's an amazing reality, and that's exactly what he's inviting us to. He's telling us, like, that's what it should do. So let's just take a moment, just a moment, and then we'll kind of end here. But let's just, let's just let this wash over us. We, we've had to talk about a number of things this morning. We've had to talk about the sin leading to death, and we've had to talk about theologically that we all sin. Those are good and important principles. But at the end of the day, this is not a very complicated piece of advice. Advice is not the word. It's not a very just complicated command. 
If you see a Christian sinning a sin, and it's not a rebellious sin, or that's a different thing, because you, you can't fix that just by praying for them. But if you see somebody sinning a sin, you should pray. And God will answer that prayer. What would it look like if we actually did that? What would it look like if you actually believed that church was this way? What if you actually believed that when you came here this morning, that that's what you were going to find? See, I'm still convinced that some of us did not. I'm still convinced that some of us thought church is for good people to be good. And that's what it is. Everybody's going to go and show off how good they are until you just recognize there's not a good person here. And every one of us needed help. What if you came into a group of people that said, hey, that's what we are. We're a people that, you know, love each other, and that love covers a multitude of sin, and we pray for each other. We, when, when we see each other struggling, we pray for each other. That's what we do. What would it do if you really believed it? Because I'm just going to tell you, if you believed that, you would recognize there is not a better space that you could come There's not a better space that you could come because what we are afraid of about church is exactly what we're not supposed to. That you're supposed to be able to come and say, this is the place I can come and be honest and say, I do need help. I I do need help. I'm not perfect. And 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 to be able to say, I I would like you guys to have my back. I'd like you guys, so that if you see me struggling, would you please pray for me? That's what we should be able to say to each other and, and, and live that. I mean, what would it be if you saw church would be that way? What if you actually did this personally? Maybe you already do. Maybe I'm, I'm telling, telling you something like, Jim, I do that. But what if you didn't? What if, what if right now, right now you either, you're either jaded and you see Christians sinning and you just kind of like, huh, another Christian called himself a Christian, can't believe that. I saw him Sunday. It's not how they acted on Sunday. What if, what, what if that's your, what if that's your way, what if you actually became, God, if I see it, I'm gonna pray for him. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna pray for him. And I'm going to ask, God, they need help. They're in a battle with their flesh, and they need life. Give them life. God, give that person life. Give them help. Give them strength. And I'm going to be that person. What if you actually did that? What would that change? What if that actually became, what if we could actually see God do that? Imagine what that would look like. Because I don't know. I mean, I find myself thinking, like, how good this would be if that's actually the people that we were and the life that God might give. Because see, I'm, I'm still stuck on the reality. The God says, there's things I would do for you I'm not doing because you're not asking. And so I have to believe there are things here in this principle that God's like, I would do something so much more, but you guys won't do it. What if he did? What if God began giving spiritual life to, to those that we're, that we're in? And what would that look like? It could change, I don't even know. It could change so much. And I just would love to see it. I'm just inviting you towards it. I'm inviting you towards it so that this would be what you would just decide to do. That you would say, okay, God, teach me to do this. Help me to be a, just my knee-jerk reaction to a Christian being imperfect is me praying. Let that be the first thing I do. Let it be, you know, before anything else, let me just say, God, I just want to pray for him. See, if you actually did that, I think it would change things. And I actually wonder if we'd actually become even those who looked for this more. See, I hope you have it. I hope you have some friends who, when you're having a bad day, you can expose that to them intentionally. The kind of people that you can say, you don't have to tell them the whole story because love covers. I don't need to tell you everything that happened, but it would be great if you had a few people that you could text or call and just say, I'm not doing so good. 
send me life. Pray for me. Pray for me. I, I could use prayer today. I could use you standing with me. I could, because I, I, I could use that. And it would be great if we'd like, I'm, I'm in. Like, count, count me in as that. Count me as one of those people who my response to you having a hard day isn't to cluck my tongue at you. It's to pray for you. That'd be amazing. I just want to tell you that's exactly what he's saying. It's not hard. It's not complicated, but it's exactly what he's saying. Simply giving it to us. If we see it, this is what we do. So let's end there. Let's end there. Close your Bibles, notebooks, if you didn't do it already. And I just want to invite you to just bring this into your life, that this is where you need to kind of change some things this week. It would be great if this was your knee-jerk response the rest of the week. May it grow as a habit. But before we close, I just want to give you the opportunity to do it right now. See, it probably happened. You guys are at church, and I'm betting it didn't take long for you to realize some of these people, you know, they're not very perfect people. I wonder if already you ran into somebody this morning and you were like, oh man, I don't know what you're doing here. You know, like I saw you get out of your car and that was not a pretty sight, you know, and I I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was that happened even maybe this morning and that was not what you did. Well, now I want you to do it. If, If you're aware of somebody that you just saw having a hard time today and you didn't pray for them, would you do it right now? Maybe it was yesterday. And if you can't think of anybody else, I'll tell you what, you can pray for me. I'll take it. I'm not, a, I'm not a perfect person. And if you're looking for somebody that just says, hey, God, give them life, you can pray for me. But right now, I just want to invite you to do it. I want you to take a moment and pray for other people that God would meet brothers and sisters in Christ that are struggling and that God would give them life. So you do that, I'll do that, and then we'll close in worship in just a moment. God, all unrighteousness is sin. I know that. And there are some that maybe are sending a sin that's leading to death right now. They are rebellious and they are defiant and they shake their, their, their hand at you in a sense and say, this is what I'm doing. That scares me. God, rescue these. Rescue these from their sin. Justify them, sanctify them, wash them. God, those this morning that don't know you, I'm crying out for salvation that you would be the hope and salvation of their life. Thank you, God, for that. I pray for it now. Leaving those in your care, I pray for those who are the rest of us who are yours. And Lord, I know that your word is true. We're sinners, saved by grace. We still, right now, have a flesh that's living in a broken world with a spiritual adversary that messes us up. God, imperfect people, every one of us. So God, right now, I'm just asking that you would forgive us, that you'd wash us, 
that you cleanse us. That, Lord, I just confess your ways are right and, and all that we do against that is wrong. Cleanse us right now. God, I'm asking for those who are struggling today, maybe some of these that we've seen struggle today, would you give them life? Would you speak life to them? Jesus, you're the light. You're the hope. You're the power of life. Would you, would you, would you breathe life into these? Where they're in a battle with their flesh and with the devil and the world, we just want to stand into the side of the battle that would see you having victory. God, we're praying for life. And God, as we're asking that right now, we simply look on all of this and I hold it before you and say, Lord, the instruction seems pretty clear. If we're not doing it, change us so that this is how we do that. May we be a, a group of people who pray for each other. And when we see each other struggling, we pray for each other. We, love covers and, and mercy covers and, and but we, we would pray and God, you would give life in that. May this be a life-giving congregation. May this be a group of people that give life to each other in Christ through prayer. Make it so. Make it so for all of us right now. I ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.